iniquities of the fathers aren't visited upon the children because God had told them that no longer are you supposed to use this this uh, proverb anymore. Don't say this anymore. I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to allow you to give an excuse by saying that the fathers ate sour grapes. That's why our teeth are set on edge. What, what God was really saying here, he's not saying that he did away with the principle of, of the passing of on of generational iniquities. What he's saying is, is quit making excuses for it. Quit blaming your parents for the way you're acting. Take responsibility. That's what I see him saying. And that's very, very important. So as we look back, looking back, that's a picture of my dad, okay? You know, uh, he, he was, he, he's somebody that's, you know, January 2nd is only a few days before, a little, a few days ago, 2222, isn't that interesting? That's Groundhog Day back, I don't know, you, you catch groundhogs out here? I mean, you, you, you ever hear of Groundhog Day? Well, back in Pennsylvania, Puxatawneyville was big Groundhog Day. My dad was killed on Groundhog Day. So every Groundhog Day, I think about my dad. I think about him lots of times, but specifically then because he was killed. He was just gone. He was in a, it was in a truck accident, and man, I got the phone call from a friend of mine who was an EMT, and he says, hey, I was just at the accident. Your dad's, your dad's gone. And that's, yeah, it was 6 o'clock in the morning. He was going to work for me when he had the accident. And so that's, that's very, you know, it's very poignant. It's, it's uh, full of emotion there. But that was my dad. And then here's my grandpa and grandma. That's his parents. That's my grandpa and grandma, William and Mary, William Sherman and Mary Reed, okay? Well, here's what's interesting, and he was somebody many people looked up to, and, but my dad, when, when, my, when my grandpa died, when Grandpa Reed died, my dad said, finally, I'm free. And I, I never understood that. I couldn't understand that until years later. I was at Quinter where my uncle was and another uncle was there and I sat there with my two uncles, my dad's brothers, and I told them what my dad said and they go, oh yeah, yeah. Didn't matter how far we moved away from grandpa, he could always reach out and grab us. And you know, most people knew him as a very kind, caring person. I didn't like him because he would pinch me. <laughs> and here I am, this little guy, thinking that's my grandpa and that should be great, but I'd be sitting there and he'd reach over and grab hold of my leg and pinch me. And I, so I, I tried to stay away from him. But you know what's interesting is, is and I'm, I'm not trying to disrespect my great-grandfather, I'm just, I'm my grandfather, I'm just saying, when my dad said that, 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 you see, there were a lot of emotions tied to that. What was he saying? He was, he was saying that there was a problem there. And you know, I wish I knew back then. I wish I knew back then. I never saw my dad as an angry man, but he worked for me. And I was trying to save him because he, we were always poor. He never did well financially. And, and so I hired him to get him off the road. He was on the road. He was a carpenter, but it, it seemed like he could never make enough money to pay the bills. So I, I, I hired him to get him off the road so he could work for me, and I knew he would get a decent wage. And, okay, um, anyway, whatever. I'm just, but I would watch him. We had a power equipment business, and he would come in. He would start the furnace. He would get everything warmed up. He was just that kind of a servant, and I just loved him deeply, and I knew he loved me deeply, and, and I, I respect him. I respected him so much. 
but I always had a fear of being poor, and so I became a workaholic, but it became, it was, it flowed out of this, you see. And, and I, I would watch him back at the grinding wheel, sharpening chains or sharpening blades, and I would, he wouldn't know anybody was watching, and I would watch, I would watch his fists clench, and I would watch his jaw clench, and I would, I would watch him do this. But when you would meet him, you'd never see that. You'd see this kind, caring person. You see what happens? We've been talking about these type of things, but you see when things are buried, and we don't know what to do with them. And so, that's, yeah, so now we move on. Okay, that's, that's another picture. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm, I should have got rid of one of those slides. That's my mom and dad. Uh, yeah, and that's our family. I'm the middle, little, little guy in the middle. Uh, have good memories. That's my grandfather on my mother's side. He was a wonderful person that I respected highly. I wouldn't be who I am today without him, but I wouldn't be who I am today without my father. He, I, I am so grateful for the, thing, the people that God brought into my life, but it didn't mean that everything was well. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain in the background. And it, and it impacted our home. It impacted my parents' relationship. I often said my parents loved each other deeply, but they did not like each other. And you know, it's what I try and teach people when they're dating and, and preparing for marriage, it's more important to like each other than it is to love each other. Love is a choice, love is a decision. But liking a person, that's something you have to learn to, to like each other and you have to be together and find out that whether you want to really spend your rest of your life with this person. And liking is a whole lot more important because you can make a, you can make, you can make a lifetime relationship work by love even when you don't like each other. Because I, I watched my parents do that. Okay, I, I'm going off on a... I'm going off on a major bunny trail. Let me get off of that one. Um, but what, with ho what holding resentments and anger does to you and how it impacts those around you, it's so, so big. Herod had given orders to have John arrested because of Herodias, his brother's, Philip's wife, whom he had married. John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. You see, when a nursed grudge is there, when, when there's this buried resentment, and when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, he was, she was offered whatever she wanted half to the kingdom. She asked her mother, get the head of John the Baptist. The king was greatly distressed, but John lost his head. Why? Because there was a grudge that was nursed. You nurse grudges, you build resentment, it's going to create problems. Okay? Bad problems. So healing through forgiveness. This is really big. So our present real pain is often connected with formal pain, uh, former painful events. Historical pain transfers into the present painful experience and it causes an emotional overload. Dealing with historical pain first frees us to work with the present, and when the historical pain is dealt with, truth received and applied, the present truth will diminish or be removed completely. It comes from Caring for the Heart Ministries. I like that diagram. It just shows us how that if we don't deal with historical pain, the pain that comes from childhood. And see, that's where my dad was. He never, he never dealt with that childhood pain. And now here he was, an older man, and he was still fighting that inner, inward battle because of the anger and the resentment toward his father. That kind of stuff still eats at us. That kind of stuff is impacting people here. Now, currently. The powerful truth of forgiveness Ephesians 
Paul tells us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and then he gives us an analogy. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, how has God forgiven us? How much has God forgiven us? Totally. God's forgiveness is total. It's not partial, not half. It's complete. And he's telling us here that we are to forgive even as. Now, what I want to do is show you how to forgive. I want to show you how Jesus defines forgiveness and so that we can forgive the same way. The powerful truth of forgiveness, it goes against our natural inclinations. As long as there is a sense of debt owed, there cannot be healing. Hang on to that. That's really important. As long as there is a sense of debt owed. You see, there's this assumption that if I forgive somebody, I'm doing that person a favor. Do you think that? That if somebody has offended you, somebody has hurt you deeply, do you think that if you forgive them, you're doing them a favor? That's how we, we have a tendency to think that way. That's not, that's not what God says. That's not what Jesus says. Because it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we're telling God that we're to be forgiven like we forgive those who have, you know, and, and look at it, it says debtors. Remember that? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I know in some places it says trespasses, but it's interesting how it, it does use the word debts and debtors. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Peter, Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should it be? I think he had somebody in mind. <laughs> Knowing his nature, I have an idea. He had a list, but I'm sure he had somebody in mind. Well, hey, how about, how about seven times? That's a good number, right? That's, that's a spiritual number. It's, it's in the Bible, right? Seven times? And Jesus says, how about if we don't keep count? And then he goes into this story that seemingly has nothing to do with forgiveness, but it does. And Jesus begins telling Peter, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king. He wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, a man who owed him. Now, please hang on to these things. He owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. You see, here's this man who owed him 10,000 talents. And I know you probably heard other people talk on this and give values to it. But at servant's wages, this servant would have had to live two lifetimes to pay back that debt. And it says since he was not able to pay. So what you want to hang on to is this word. It's an unpayable debt. It's a debt that he could not pay. And so, well, guess what was going to happen? The king decided, I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to put him on the auction block. I'm going to put his family on the auction block, his possessions. And his wife will go one place. His children will go another place. His wheelbarrow is going here. Table's going here. He's going to have total dispersal. This man is going to lose everything. It's an unpayable debt. The servant fell on his knees. Have patience with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. No way, it's not going to happen. The servant's master had, oh, there's that word again. The servant's master had compassion on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Do you see, Do you see what's happening here? He canceled the debt and let him go. 
But when the, that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. That was about two months' wages. Huge difference between the two. Who owed him a hundred pence? He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay me what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went, him off and, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Sort of silly, isn't it? If you throw somebody into prison, how are they going to pay the debt? They can't work. They can't earn money. You know, it's, 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 it's silly. Well, the master called the servant in. The other, the other servants saw what had taken place. They went and told the master. The master calls him in. He says, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? There's that analogy again, just as. In anger, his master turned him over to the tormentors to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I have a question for you. How much did he owe? Unpayable. Do you agree with that? Did he, un, uh, did he owe an unpayable debt? I set a trap for you, Lisa, because... No, sorry, I'm sorry. His, his debt had been forgiven. I used to think, I used to think, like you, that his debt was reinstated, but the debt was forgiven. He even, Jesus even said, he even says, I canceled all that debt of yours. Shouldn't you have canceled? How much did he owe? He owed two months' wages. He owed to cancel his fellow servant's debt, just like I had you. And, and you see, look what it says there. In anger, in anger. Why was he angry? Because he didn't do what the master had done. He didn't show mercy. You see, this is so huge. Listen, what we're going to talk about here in forgiveness, this is so huge. This is not light. This has our eternal life at stake. People are going to, are going to lose their eternal life because they don't cancel other people's debts. This is scary. And so I don't forget later I want to tell you something. Forgiveness is not something you do. Forgiveness is a way of life. Forgiveness is a way of life. When you realize that Jesus canceled all that debt of mine, then I will not allow somebody else to build a debt against me. In other words, when the debt occurs, I'm going to cancel it right away. Because if I don't, it builds, and it builds resentment. Think of, what my, think of what my dad was living with. I wish I knew what I knew now. I would, have, I would have tried to help my dad get free. He was in bondage. He was in bondage to his dad. Because his dad had hurt him deeply. And you know, this is something that my brothers and I talk about a lot. We talk about it occasionally because we see that the, the whole, his, all his siblings have that same resentment, even though you don't see it in them until you sit down and talk with them. Then it comes out. 
because they're all kind, they're all sweet, they're all gentle, like my daddy. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You see? Wow. You see, you see what he's saying? Guess, guess who gets tormented? Guess who gets tormented when you don't forgive? Not the person that you're not forgiving. See, we think we do them a favor. No. You see, when we forgive, we do ourselves a favor. And we don't realize it. Yeah, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Oh, man. You see, we have this unpayable debt and Jesus defines forgiveness. Cancel debt. You don't owe me anymore. You see, he paid in full our unpayable debt on the cross. It's paid in full. And when we hold a debt against somebody else and we don't cancel their debt, we don't get our debt reinstated, but we get, we end up, okay, just stop and think about this. I bet there's people that you haven't forgiven over a period of time, but guess who gets tortured? Not them. You do. I watch people tortured by torment and, and, and anger and bitterness, and I watch, it, I watch it destroy relationships and marriages and families because of what was done against them. And, and I, when I work with, I, I told you about that girl whose father abused her horribly. We sat and worked through forgiving and canceling her daddy's debt. And it's a way of life because you see, she'll cancel it today. She'll have to cancel it again tomorrow. Maybe that'll last for a couple of weeks. Guess what? That happened many years ago. She's in her forties. That started when she was a child. But just recently, a relative died, and she wanted to go to the funeral. Her daddy was going to be there. We talked to get tools to use when you go to the funeral. How are you going to deal with that? You see, because it brought all the emotions and feelings back again. You see, forgiveness is a way of life. It's not just something you do once and done. Because you might be living with the person you need to forgive and they never have shown repentance or sorrow or grief and we want them to be sorry for what they did. Right? Let's, let's talk about another aspect of it. I don't know if I have it in my notes or not. I have too many notes over a weekend here. I'm starting to lose track of where it's all coming out at. Forgive me for that. But when we hurt somebody and we're aware of it, see, this is very important to Jesus. He says, if you're at the altar to give your gift and there you remember somebody has ought against you or you have ought against somebody else, you see, it's always our responsibility to move. You hear that? Always our responsibility to make the move to solve and heal the relationship, not the other person's. You see, we, we want somebody to get to the place where they realize how badly they hurt us and, they, and we want them to come and grovel. And then maybe we'll say, I, I accept, yeah, I'll forgive you. But what if we've hurt somebody? When we go to ask forgiveness for somebody, here's, well, we'll get there. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of the game. As followers of Jesus, you and I have lost our right not to forgive at Calvary. Okay, we've lost our right to not forgive. Here's kingdom thinking. Jesus took the aside of the offenders. That's why we're Christians. Okay? We are the offenders. We offend, 
we have offended God with our fallen nature and our behaviors. And he took our side. And he interceded for us. And he came and paid our debt so that we don't have to pay it. That's how important it is. From our perspective, forgiveness benefits the offender. But from God's perspective, forgiveness benefits the offended. You see, when I'm offended because somebody did something to me, when I cancel their debt, I'm the one that gets out of prison, not them. And you know what's really interesting? And here's something to just tuck away. When you forgive somebody, don't go and tell them, hey, I've forgiven you. Because they're going to go, what for? <laughs> now what are you going to say? Well, don't you remember when you did? Did what? I'm just telling you. I've had people who've done dastardly things. Uh, yeah. That dad that I was talking about, he was confronted by the law, by the church, and they believed him instead of her. He just jumps to another church. They finally disciplined him. He just jumped into another church. You see, he's still scot-free. You see, when you cancel somebody's debt, you can't control them. He just denies that anything ever happened. Okay. But it wasn't just her, it was her sister too. So, you know, this is not a made-up story. It's just a, what do you do with this? The most creative power given, in the, given to the human spirit is the power to heal the wounds of a past it cannot change. Do you hear that? To heal the wounds of a past it cannot change. We do our forgiving alone inside our hearts and minds. What happens to the people we forgive is their decision. Yeah. You can't control that. That's their decision. The first person to benefit from forgiving is the one who forgives. Forgiving does not require us to reunite, the person, reunite with the person who broke our trust. Sometimes forgiveness restores relationships. Sometimes it does not. It doesn't require us. And sometimes this is something I've seen as a problem in, in churches is when somebody gets up and says, well, I'm sorry I did that, and they make, a, they make a confession. Now the offended party is supposed to restore. And there is never genuine true repentance. It's just a statement that that person made because they had to, because the church demanded it. And now the church expects, now if that offended person is still hurting and wants to talk about it with anybody, now they're disciplined. I told you last night that in dealing with that workshop on the system and angry defectors, that those angry defectors, many of them who had been sexually abused, it was more painful the way the church handled their situation than what the, than the abuse was, okay? The church hasn't handled forgiveness and dealt with it very well. I think it is the church's responsibility to make sure there is genuine, deep repentance. And you know, that's pretty hard to, to determine and to discern, but it takes time, it takes spending some time, and then it takes observation and proof of time. Jesus can forgive immediately and totally let go of it. Somehow we as humans don't quite have that ability. 
And so sometimes we want to make sure that if it's a deep offense, oh, if it's minor, okay, don't make a big issue of it. But when it's a deep offense, we better be careful that we don't reunite people who can, are going to get re-abused and hurt. Pretty important. Forgiving one who breaks a trust does not mean we give him his job back. You know, if somebody, we had a situation in our, in our work where one of our employees was struggling with an issue. And you know what? That employee couldn't run the cash register. They could keep their job, but they couldn't keep their position. You don't give somebody who has, in other words, okay, okay I'm, I'm going to just be pretty blunt. If you have a family member who has abused a child, if it's a grandpa or a dad who's abused a child, or maybe you don't let that grandpa babysit children. It doesn't matter if they've asked forgiveness or not. You don't give them their job back. That is not what you do. I'm sorry if you disagree with I just You just don't do that. Okay, there's some aspects of forgiveness that it, you can, the offense can be cleared and gone away. You don't, that doesn't mean they get their job back. It might, but it depends on what kind of offense it was. It has to, you have to use some discernment there. But sometimes we misinterpret what forgiveness really means. We do not forgive because we're supposed to. We forgive when we're ready to be healed. Oh my goodness. When we are ready to be healed. That's when we forgive. Wow. Waiting for someone to repent before we forgive is to surrender our future to the person who wronged us. That's big. That's so huge. We want them to. We want them to be sorry. We want them to come get back and say, I'm so sorry, I hurt you deeply. Most of the time, it's not going to happen. And when you don't forgive, you, and, and, and you wait for that person before you're going to forgive them, you're surrendering your future. They're going to control your future. I have watched people who, who have held these offenses and haven't forgiven, and guess what? They are controlled by those people that they won't forgive. They're controlled by them. It's really big, really big. Forgiving is the only way to be fair to ourselves. Not forgiving is drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You've heard that one many times. Pretty true. When we forgive, we set the prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was me. And when we forgive, we walk in step with the forgiving God. Pretty big. So here's kingdom thinking. Canceling the debt. Identify specifically what has been taken from us. And, you know, I'm going to ask your forgiveness because I wanted to go over this slide before we, we were doing this right now. I didn't. So I'm not quite sure where the diagrams are or even if I have them on here. But if they're not, I want to talk you, I want to talk you through maybe even drawing a diagram on one of your papers, okay? But identify specifically what has been taken from us. We try to forgive an event, the action that caused the hurt. You cannot forgive an event. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. The angry, the depression, the pain, and the medicating continues. You know, if somebody abused you, you can't forgive the abuse that was, was done against you. It doesn't work. Stop it and just hear me. What you have to do is you have to ask, when I was abused, what did that steal from me? What debt is there? I want to tell you a story. Quite a few years ago, many years ago, there was this young girl, and she had two children, and she wasn't married. 
and she was attending our church and she was dating a man and she said she goes Jason could, would you give us preparing for marriage could we come for premarital counseling and I knew that there was lots of pain in the background so I said tell you what how about if just you would come and sit down with Grace and I some evening and so she did she came over and there we sat and before the evening was over there were three people sitting there just crying because here she was this little girl started when she was five years old her dad married moved out of state and here she was five years old and at Christmas time holidays they would come down and visit grandpa and grandma and and her dad's younger brother was still at home and she had a bedroom by herself and at night she would hear her uncles her dad's younger brother her uncle's footsteps coming back the hall and he would come into her bedroom and he would molest her this lasted for years she didn't have anybody she could tell she said the only person I could talk to about it was a cousin who was going through the same thing there was lots of problems in this home I'm just telling you lots of problems and so she sat there and told us this story and and what it did to her it created huge amounts of problems she actually became a striptease dancer in a bar and this is conservative Anabaptist people okay and then her brother started using her and abusing her so we sat there and listened to this and it was it was horrible well they did not get married but she told me about her uncle and I knew her uncle and this happened years ago because now she's in her 20s and I knew her uncle and her uncle was now in ministry and her uncle had come to her and asked her for forgiveness for what he did to her this is why I'm telling you the story and I said so did you forgive him she goes yeah but she says I can't stand him whenever he comes around I leave Here's something else that's interesting. This goes with the teaching next. But she says, when I would hear my, my uncle's footsteps coming back the hall, I would leave. Her body wouldn't leave. But remember we talked last night about the spirit, the soul, and the body being preserved blameless, okay? Her spirit and soul would go do something else because it was too painful to stay there. So now her uncle's in ministry. I know her uncle. I'm working with her. And he had come to her and asked her for forgiveness for what he did to her. And I said, did you forget? Yeah, but I can't stand him. I called her uncle. I said, hey, could we have breakfast together? And he goes, sure, Jason. So we met for breakfast. And I said, hey, I've been meeting with your niece. And she told me what has taken place. And she said you've asked her for forgiveness he goes yeah I said I would like to talk to you about how Jesus defines forgiveness and I told him about how Jesus defines forgiveness about canceling debt so I said the question you want to ask is is when you ask when you go back to her I'm, I, I'm gonna ask if would you consider going back to her because when Jesus says forgiveness is canceling debt and it's an unpayable debt when, when you did that to her, what do you think it stole from her? And we sat there, and I said, well, you know what? It stole her purity. It stole her childhood. It took away a lot of her future. It, and, and I think we came up with like six or seven things. 
that it stole from her, it took from her. I said, that's a debt, and it's an unpayable debt. You can't restore any of that. Here's the whole thing. When you hang on to an unpayable debt, it's sort of, still, it's sort of silly. In fact, it's quite stupid. Because if it's an unpayable debt and you hang on to the debt, you're letting that person control you. It's, they can't pay you back. They can't, they can't unabuse you. They can't take back words. They can't, you know, I'm, I'm telling you about some pretty severe cases here. But I, I said, would you mind going back and just saying, would you, for, would you, could you possibly forgive me and cancel the debt for all the, all the hurt and pain and, and destruction that I've caused in your life? I stole your child. I stole your purity. Said, and he's there, he's just there looking at me and he says, yeah, I'll do that. But first I have to go home and heal my wife. I have no idea what he meant. I didn't ask. Do you know what's interesting is I waited and waited and waited to hear from her. And four months later, he still hadn't gone back to her. And I was getting ready to call him again and say, let's meet again. Phil and Mary Ellen, do you remember this? Because while we were walking through the Philadelphia Flower Show, my phone went off and I got a text from her. Dad, pray for me. My uncle's coming to see me. Pray that I don't flip out on him. About five minutes later, buzzed again. It's him. Pray for me. I'm going to visit my niece. And at five o'clock, at five o'clock, we found a table and we sat down and we prayed for them. Thank you, Phil and Mary Ellen, for being there. It was about nine o'clock that night. I got another text from her. She goes, Dad, I can't wait to talk to you. She was free. He went back and with tears asked if she could possibly cancel an unpayable debt of stealing her purity, her childhood, her future. And he went he, he, with tears. But he, he had to fight some of his own battles first, and he had to go back and deal with his wife. And I don't know what that looked like. But do you know what? After that, she would go to church with him. And she didn't run away when he came. You see, this is what genuine forgiveness actually does. I don't know how, that's, that's the best way I can illustrate this. But you try to forgive an event, the action it caused to her, it don't. She, he, he had asked her to forgive, her, for, forgive him for what he did to her, but the pain stayed there. The anger, the frustration, the hurt was still there, even though intellectually, what happens is, is intellectually we forgive because we know we have to, because Jesus told us we have to forgive, so we forgive intellectually, but the pain never goes away because there's a debt that's still owed. So huge. I'm so glad I could talk to that uncle. You know what? She could have canceled his debt anyway, and we were working on that. And I think it would have, it would have worked because she can, you, if, you don't have to wait till somebody comes back. That was a wonderful picture because we could conv- I, I could convince the uncle to go back and, and actually ask her to forgive the unpayable debt. That oftentimes does not happen. But this worked. But I want you to hear, you can forgive and cancel a debt even though that person never comes back. That's what Jesus did on the cross. They weren't sorry. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a clue what they're doing. We need to identify what was stolen from us. So I'm just, here's, here's a diagram. And once again, maybe I have it up here. I'm not sure. But what you want to do is you, you want to, you want to, you want to, Make a, take a piece of paper, and, and I, I make three columns. 
The first one was, who, who offended me? And do one paper for each person. The second one was, what they did to me. And the third was, what they stole from me. Because you see, you, you write down what they did to you so you can identify what the debt is. Okay, it might have been hurtful words. You know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Words stick. Words curse. We talked about that. We need to identify what was stolen from us. What specifically does this person owe me? Not what they did to me. Then forgiveness says, I cancel your debt. You don't owe me anymore. That's what forgiveness is. That's how Jesus forgive, is, is defining forgiveness. Forgiveness is canceling an unpayable debt. It's a debt that somebody cannot pay you back. And why hang on to an unpayable debt? When I bought the business from my grandfather, I, in, I inherited a small file that was just loaded with unpaid bills that people owed my grandpa. And I hung on to that file for a long time. And every now and then I'd page through it. Irritated me to no end. And finally, I took that thing and I threw it in the trash. Their debt was canceled because they weren't going to pay me anymore. And every time I looked at that thing, that, irked it, that worked on me and irked me because there were thousands of dollars in there. I would have liked that. Yeah. Why do we struggle with forgiving? Why can't we forgive? Well, here, this is really a key. Here's a key. Here's a balance scale. So I would like you to picture in your mind an offense that, that, somebody, that, you, that somebody offended you, and I'd like you to assign a dollar, uh, dollar value to it. What did we put up there? There's $100,000. Is that a good value? Why don't you add three zeros to it, make it a million? Okay. So that's the dollar value. And what if you only have $500 in your spiritual bank account? You see, you can't cancel that debt. You cannot cancel that debt because, you see, they owe you more than what's in the bank. If you go out and you buy a new car and you don't borrow money for it, you go out and buy it cash and you don't insure it, and you go out and drive and somebody smashes into your brand new car and they don't have insurance, and guess what? Somebody has to pay the debt of that car. Somebody has, to, somebody has to take the loss of that car. Guess who's going to take the loss of that car? You are. And it might be $20,000, might be $30,000. I don't know. I have no idea. It's just that, you see, if it's not insured and somebody damages it, it's, it's gone. It's an un, it's, that person can't pay you. They didn't have any money to start with. So somebody's going to have to take that loss. And if you only have $500 left in your savings account and they just destroyed your $20,000 and you paid cash for it, you're going to hold that against them. So if you only have $500 in your spiritual bank account and somebody has a debt that they owe you for a million, you can't cancel that debt. So here's, here's we, we remember we talked about this in the last session. I keep asking the glorious Father that the eyes of your heart may be opened in order that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance for us who believe. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Do you know that because you're a son and daughter of God, you inherit, you are an inheritor of everything the Father has? So how wealthy are you? 
Do you know that the Father owns everything? And since you're a son and a daughter, it says we are joint heirs together with Christ. Joint heirs. That means we inherit everything he gets. Isn't that awesome? Do you know how rich you are? If we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, you see, our Father owns everything. We are a multi-billion, zillion, trillionaire. And if there's a million-dollar debt that you're, you're holding against somebody, you are so wealthy, it's less than pocket change to you. Do you realize how important it is to know how rich you are? That's why Paul was saying, I keep asking the glorious Father that he would give you, open the eyes of your understanding that you might know the sure hope that you have and that you would know how rich you are as joint heirs together with Christ and you would know the power, the power, the resurrection power is in you. You see, those prayers are meaningful. That's how you get your identity. That's what we were talking about in Ephesians chapter 1. You go there. You are so wealthy. When you are in Christ, you are so wealthy, you can cancel anybody's debt, anybody's doesn't matter what they did to you but once again forgiveness is a way of life it's not something you do because all you have to realize is how many of you know that there's triggers in life and all of a sudden you run into the same person that hurt you before and they never ask you for forgiveness and they act like nothing ever happened it triggers it all over again and then guess what you do you cancel the debt all over again you cancel the debt not forgive what they did you cancel the debt Jesus' number one nature is compassion revealed by his forgiveness. 70, he says, don't keep track. Don't, don't count on it. It becomes a way of life. It is a way of life. Forgiveness is a way of life. We can forgive only when we know in our heart how great a sinner we are. Oh, how much we're loved, how much we've been forgiven, and how rich we are as a child of God. That's, that's, that takes those four things for us to forgive. We need to acknowledge our anger. We must. Anger is, anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is okay. There's nothing. Don't tell your children they shouldn't be angry. Anger is not something we, we don't choose feelings. We need to acknowledge your anger. It's okay to be angry if it's anger against wrong and, and evil. We should get angry at the same thing God gets angry at. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. When you get angry at things that we shouldn't get angry at, now the devil has a foothold. He's got his talons in you. It, yeah. Attack the problem with zeal and indignation. Aggressive against the problem, not against the person. Repent of sinful anger where either you have blown up or clammed up. And both of us have, and we've, we've done both. Obedience is hard. Disobedience is destructive. Resentment toward God gives us an offense to rehearse. That offense then becomes justification for acting in ways we would otherwise say is wrong. S really, think about this. When we get resentful toward God, then we, we, we'll act out because we're, we, we're angry at him. Because if he's a good, all-powerful, all-knowing God, we already talked about that last night, why did he let this happen to me? And then we act out in ways that we otherwise would say is wrong, but because we're, we're angry toward God. Resentment toward our mate justifies making them pay even though we know it's wrong. Aren't you glad we don't do that? Oh, well. Resentment toward our parents becomes our internal reason to validate rebellion. Yeah. We medicate resentment. Resentment becomes unrighteous anger. We medicate in many different ways. Entertainment, workaholism, that was me. 
can be porn, it can be whatever. Gambling, you know, we medicate in all kinds of ways. Bitterness is anger gone wrong. Bitterness is holding somebody liable for a sin. Bitterness contradicts God's attitudes toward you. It damages our family and others. It causes diseases and mental disorders. Do you know that? Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. An unforgiving person is an unforgiven person. Wow. A local businessman molested a younger girl while he was in his teens. Her anger and reaction today when seeing his company's vehicles. She told me this in person. Whenever she sees those company vehicles, and he became a very big businessman, she is, it, it just, that, that resentment just goes and grips her. Just seeing, what if you're a perpetrator? What if you cause the problem? Restitution is important. Ask yourself, what have I taken from them? What debt have I inflicted on their heart? What pain have I caused? Acknowledge that debt. Own it. Ask forgiveness for the loss and pain you caused. Just like that uncle went back and he, he finally, he didn't just ask forgiveness for what he did, he asked forgiveness for how deeply he had damaged and stolen her life from her. That handout you have has this on it, God's way of dealing with my sin. His mercy and forgiveness and compassion, he personally paid for all my sins. God, through the death of Christ, set me free. Justice would require me to pay for my own sins. But Jesus set me free. So my way of dealing with another's failure, mercy and forgiveness and compassion on another, assuming the personal responsibility for the emotional pain and consequences of the other's sin. Listen, when somebody, when you forgive somebody, when you forgive somebody, you are going to pay. You have to be willing to absorb the emotional debt that that person owes you. That's true. Forgiveness isn't cheap. Forgiveness will have you absorbing the emotional cost of that debt. When she canceled her uncle's debt, she had to be willing to absorb that. And she could take that, she could take that pain, and she could give it to Jesus. And Jesus would take it. Why? Because she obeyed him and canceled that debt. But if you don't, you pay the emotion, but you still pay the emotional debt. If you're, walking, if you're walking through a very wealthy home and you bump over a, a Chinese Ming vase that was worth $10,000, who's going to pay for it? And when the owner says, oh, well, it's just a vase, you know, that owner just paid a $10,000 debt that he's going to throw in the trash can. And that's what happens when we cancel other people's debt. We pay that emotional price for it. And we have to be willing to do that because Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, guess what he was dealing with? He was suffering intensely. And still, you know what's interesting? I, I, we, we have this symposium for, Anabaptist symposium for sexual abuse. And Rand, Randall Martin is one of uh, the board members and he, he, uh, he shared some things with us at the last meeting. And here's what he said. He says, he says, one of the things that he's learning, and he went through a lot of abuse. He said, one of the things that he's learning is that we must learn to suffer well. We must learn to suffer well. 
because Jesus did. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was suffering intensely. And guess what he did? He looked at the thief on the right, he looked at the thief on the left, and the one on the right, he says, because of that, that thief, ask him, Jesus, I recognize who I am. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me. In he was caring for that thief. He looked down at his mother, and he said to John, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He was caring for people while he was hanging on the cross. And you know, when you're hanging on the cross, you got to push up so you can breathe, and then your legs give out, and then you go down, and you can't breathe. So on his push-up, he had to say those words. He was dying, caring for people. We need to learn to suffer well, to be like Jesus. It's not fun, but it's necessary. Death to self. I choose to set the other person free by dying to self. The result is freedom from resentment, freedom from bitterness, anger, revenge, conflict. But you see, justice says, I'll make them pay for their failure toward me. Result is resentment, bitterness, anger, revenge, and conflict. We see it all around us. I think we're not going to go over this. It's, uh, it's quarter after three. We're going to take a break. This is my brother's chart. So let me see if I can buzz right through it so you don't even have to pay attention to it. How's that? Brokenness is accepting God's healing for my wounds and my failure. Brokenness is accepting God's healing for my wounds and my failure. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do we seriously mean that when we pray? Wow. Your thoughts. It's pretty big, isn't it? 